while the world doesn't always do things we want it to do in our timing and our plan, there is a power greater than our own that we stand on. Another great hymn that we didn't have time to sing this morning, but on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, reminds me a lot of the overall theme of the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote this letter to a church in Ephesus that was struggling. They were tempted to listen to teachers that sounded great, but were pretty shallow. Or they were tempted to follow false gods or not quite the real God, depending on how you defined it. They were threatened with persecution on every side. Most people chose to worship false gods such as Artemis. It was a difficult time for the church to know what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul writes what we call a pastoral letter. He writes this letter to help the church, not just the church in Ephesus, but very much us a couple millennia later. And so I wanted to start this morning by asking you a question that I think can help us put things into perspective. How do you feel come Monday mornings? When that alarm goes off on a Monday morning, if I was standing there already awake, looking at you as you get out of bed and start your day, teenagers, adults, what do we look like on a Monday morning? For most of us, myself included, we kind of drag ourselves out of bed, make our way forward, and just try to get through the day, don't we? Typically, or if you're a pilot or a doctor or things where your schedules are weird, whatever Monday looks like for you, whatever day of that week is, or you just never know. But my point is, often we find ourselves in seasons or series points in life where we feel like all we're doing is surviving. And that's kind of sad. Because we're meant for, oh, so much more. We sing it about, oh, how he loves us so, oh, how he loves us in Christ alone. We know there's a better way to live, but we get caught sometimes just going through the motions. The letter to the church in Ephesus and the letter to us at Alliance International Church says, there's more to life than surviving. Yes, this world is increasingly dark. Yes, things at work may not be fair. Your teacher might give you too much homework. But there is a way to thrive. There is a way to live a bigger life than we knew possible on our own. There's even a way to live the life that already God laid out for you. And I know that statement is confusing, and we're going to try to unpack that this morning. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. You've heard us talking about that. And I'm going to read all of this, and you're going to look and see, like, Mike, what in the world is he saying? And we're just going to pull out a few truths this morning that give us perspective. If you've got your sermon notes in your bulletin, uh, yours don't have all my small handwriting on it and are half the size. But if you don't have sermon notes, would you raise your hand? And the ushers in the back would love to give you a copy. Anybody missing the notes for the day? Just keep your hands up for just a second. Yeah, Isam, say... Mm. So we got about five or six or eight now people that need them. And so keep your hands up. The ushers are getting those ready for you and they'll bring those along. 
But all of us, open up your device, open up your Bibles, however you're reading the Word of God this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Verse 2 says this, grace and peace to you. We could stop there. Grace and peace to you today. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you wake up in the morning, do you feel blessed? Now, we know the right answer is yes, but do we act that way, especially if you're not a morning person? Or maybe you're like me, mornings are great, it's the evenings when people keep talking to you and it's past nine o'clock. Don't they understand my brain shut down? Do we feel blessed in those moments? Do we understand that life is bigger than us? For he chose us in him. As I'm reading this, count how many times you see the phrase in him, through Christ, through him. Just pay attention to how many times those statements are made in these verses. And you'll get the idea that Paul is saying something. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. And everybody says, take a deep breath, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things. Let me read that again. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, We were also chosen, having been predestined, there it is again, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the reading of God's word, and God, we pray that you would be glorified and we would be set apart more and more to be your light in these days we find ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, this series, the next nine weeks we go through the book of Ephesians, we're going to look at the idea of moving from surviving life. Now we know eternity is coming and it's going to be so much greater when Christ returns and all things are made new. But we're not just called to sit around and wait with bittersweet emotions until that moment. We're called to thrive in the life we can live now. Because the world needs to see that light, that life that we have in Christ Jesus. But most of us approach life a lot like this picture. 
And this is our, our, our background for the remainder of the series because a lot of us feel like we're in the desert. <laughs> and we're just trudging along, hoping to get some water every, every once in a while. And we're just crawling through life. But God is saying through the Apostle Paul in this letter that you can function highly in the world you live in now. If you know your battle is not against flesh and blood, which we'll come to later, if you've put on the full armor of God, you'll be prepared to live and actually fight against that thing that says you can just survive. Because Satan wants you to think that just surviving is all you need to do in life. But God has a plan. Most of us like that statement, right? We like to think that God has a plan. Most of us in in the church nod yes, right up until we get to the part that says he predestined us. The minute we read that, our minds start going crazy. We start getting troubled. Why? Why does it say that? What does he mean? Well, it means he chose us. Before the beginning of time, he knew us. Before we were even a thought, before anything had been created in Christ Jesus, we were known. Now, I got to tell you something. I don't understand how that works. Because in the same passage, in the same literally sentence, in the Greek, this sentence here, verses 3 through 14 in your Bible's broken up into a bunch of sentences and two paragraphs, 205 word long sentence. Any of you English teachers out there know that that is not how you are supposed to write. And anybody that tries to read it realizes that you got to take a few breaths along the way and that clearly Paul was not speaking this, he was writing it because he couldn't have said all that in one breath. But the point is, in the same thought, Paul mentions time and again, you are chosen to be God's people. You are predestined for such a time as this. But yet he also indicates that you have a choice because he gave you a seal when you chose to believe. At the end of the passage, verses 13 and 14, he said, I, he said, God gave you the Holy Spirit as a seal when you believed. Belief is an action that we take. So then the question becomes for us, the church, and it's, it's almost gotten to the point where it's divided the church into certain camps of do we have free will or are we elected and predestined? And you want to know the right answer according to God's word? Yes. But Mike, that doesn't make sense to me. Mike, I want it to be clearly planned out systematically. Great. Talk to God. Spend time in his word. Understand that all of the Old Testament spoke of a people being chosen by God. And that was never a problem because they knew their very existence meant that they were to be light to all the other civilizations around and show them who God was. Israel didn't do a very good job of that, just as we, the church, could improve today. With the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, we are now, along with God's people, adopted into that family, called to be light. Yes, God has foreknowledge. Yes, God has a plan, and his plan is being worked out. And yes, in that plan, he gives us a choice. I don't understand that, Mike. Well, neither did the writer of Deuteronomy. 
Because if you open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 29, listen to what you find. Verse 29 of chapter 29 of Deuteronomy. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. God reserves the right to be mysterious. Why do I say that? Because here's the thing. We love to talk about the fact that God is all-knowing. He is everywhere. He exists in space and time. All these big truths about God right up until we feel like it affects us. And then we try to put God into a box and say he must exist according to our understanding of him. But here's my thing. Even though Hong Kong, you hear me say it all the time because I'm proud of the fact, Hong Kong has the highest per capita IQ of anywhere else in the world. We are still nothing compared to God. And if we think we understand everything about God, how much of a God is he really? Paul, throughout his letters, say, don't get caught up arguing about stupid genealogies or frivolous side issues. Focus on Jesus Christ, making him known and knowing that you are his. That is the key, knowing that God has a plan for your life, and that plan is really simple, to go out into all the world, wherever we find ourselves, and make much of the name of Jesus and invite people to come with us as we follow him together. That's God's will for your life, no matter who you are. How do I know that? Because we were told that it is not God's will that anyone should perish. He longs for all of us to choose to believe in him while still giving us the choice to do so. That's kind of confusing, Mike, and I say, yes, it is. And I... I'm right there with you. I have literally read thousands of pages. I've seen that Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, and Jacob Arminius, these three big names of which parts of the church divide themselves, and I follow this one, I follow that one. You know, at the end of the day, they said a lot of the same thing. It's only those that followed after them and explained them that the divisions began to be. Because whether it was Arminius or Calvin, they all believed that God is sovereign. You know what the word sovereign means? You can find it at the end. He reigns always. Now, previously, and forever, God is on his throne. And he is at work. But Mike, I look out at the world and it's depressing. Well, shouldn't that excite us to work for his glory? To be the city on a hill? Our next sermon series, see, I'm already preparing you for the next one, is that very idea that we, the church, are to be a city on a hill. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, calls us to be that kind of people. But before we get there, we need to understand the survival truths and how we can thrive in a world that can sap away our strength. We can be discouraged by decisions made over our heads. We can be discouraged by our children that we know should behave this way, but they behave this way. We can be discouraged by our parents that we know they should behave this way, but they do this. We can be discouraged by a great number of things. But if we know who we are, it helps us to function differently in the world in which we find ourselves. 
Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus that he had grown to love deeply. He'd spent more than two years there. Most, uh, most estimate it was about three years in total there in one go when he planted the church. And as he cared for those people, he grew in love for them. He taught them the authority of God's word. It didn't look quite like this then because they didn't have books like this yet. But he taught them to trust the word of God. And when Paul spoke of election, he spoke of it personally. When God when Paul would speak of God having a plan for his life, this was a man that thought deeply he was following God. His name was Saul. And he was doing his own thing and he was doing it his own way with some level of success. Then God got a hold of his life. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment and in that interaction with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, everything for Paul changed. His life went from this, a life of persecuting those that were followers of Jesus Christ, to making everything about Jesus Christ. You don't think Paul understood election? Paul said, I'm living proof that God can use even the most broken, undeserving person through his grace and peace to make his name great. And God has us here for just such a time. So when Paul's writing this letter to Ephesus, he's writing them saying, come on, you can survive and you can thrive and you can be like, look at what Paul writes in verses 20 and 21 of Acts chapter 20. If you want to get a brief history of the church in Ephesus, read the end of Acts 18, read Acts 19, and then the tail end or the beginning of part of Acts 20. Paul writes this in chapter 20. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Anything that would be helpful to you, that's what I'm going to say. You see, the visitors, Paul didn't have time in this trip to visit much with Ephesus. The elders came to him, and they're weeping. They're sad that they realize that probably the end of Paul's life is near. And in that bittersweet moment, he's like, I never hesitated to teach you what you needed to hear. Taught you publicly. I was never embarrassed of Jesus. I taught you, and I went from house to house. And I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that all of us must turn to God in repentance and have our faith in the Lord Jesus. The secret things belong to God, but we must know that he is at work. And so then when he starts the letter, praise be to God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He starts the verse before that by saying two simple words that he starts a lot of his letters with. Grace and peace to you. Praise be to God and grace and peace to you. They're connected. And as you make your way through the passages we see that there are truths that help us to not merely just survive. But I call them survival truths because they're our foundation. This is the key. This is the bedrock. And they always start with these words or a a derivative of it. In Christ. And we could say, Paul said a lot of in Christ. Just in these verses, he says more than we have time to say. But in Christ, God has blessed us in time and chose us in eternity. What does that mean? Before the fabric of time was written, God knew you. 
How does that work? I don't know because when my brain thinks about time, it thinks about time in a straight line. What do I mean by that? I mean that most of you, if I keep talking after 12.05, you're looking at your clocks because you expect to be moving on to the next thing. Right? You're hungry. If you weren't then, you are now. (laughs) I think linear. I think in time because I am human. I am finite. Outside of Jesus Christ returning before I kick the bucket, my life has a specific starting date and a specific ending date, my physical body. And in that, God gave me eternity. Through Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, begotten his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not die, perish, but have everlasting eternal life. At the same way God has blessed us in time. God knew when he was putting every person in this hall in this hall He set you on this earth for such a time as this. He set you on this earth when political tensions all over Asia are high. He set you on this earth when I was born an American and I'm very confused by the political situation in my home country. He set me on this earth when I get to be part of the expansion and shrinking of the world like never before. And he tells us the church... This is my time. It's not our time. It's his time to be light in his world. It starts with him. He's got a plan, and he invites you into that plan. Not only that, but he's chosen us to be holy and blameless. Not on our own. Again, can't do it. I will walk out of this room and likely make a mistake at some point today. It happens. I'm not trying to minimize sin, but I will be tempted to tailgate someone and think bad thoughts of how slowly they're driving. I will be tempted to get on certain parts of road and drive quickly. I will be tempted to try to cut in front of line of somebody else that has too many things at Jusco. Temptation comes in many forms, but I've been chosen to be holy, something I cannot do on my own. Holiness is pure and spotless. Holiness is worthy of sitting at the feet of God for all eternity. And on my own, I cannot do that. But as we remembered here at communion, through Jesus Christ, we've been bought with a price. So the fact that I can't be holy says that I depend on another to make me holy. He who knew no sin, referring to Jesus Christ, this might sound confusing. If you're, if you're not part of church life, this part might sound confusing, but just bear with me and I'll try to explain it to you. But Paul writes in another book, in another letter, he says, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, Jesus had never sinned, but he became, he took on my sin, all of our sins for us, that in order so that we might become, be completely transformed, just like We also read that we are transformed in the renewing of our minds, all done by the blood of Jesus Christ. But in this, we've been changed into the righteousness of God. That when God the Father looks through the work of Jesus the Son, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are holy. You are a saint. But Mike, I'm no saint. You don't know what I did today. I don't. But I know Jesus, and he knows you. And if you have believed in him and confessed of your sins, and he's entered your life and set you apart for a life of service to him, you are righteous. Not because of what you've done, but what he's done on your behalf. God has chosen you to be holy. But he doesn't ask you to do it on your own. He says, I got you. I will help you every step of the way. Not only that, but through Christ. So we've switched it from in Christ to through Christ here. And I love this one. Through Christ, God's beloved. You go back to the Old Testament, the root there is that hesed, that everlasting love poured out on Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, God's beloved, we are given, we receive grace. We don't deserve the gift of a relationship with God through Jesus. It's been given. We don't deserve eternal life. It's been given freely to us, but at great expense to God. So that in Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed. We've been paid for and we've been forgiven. I want to... I want you to remember this. Have you ever felt like you've done something so wrong, so shameful, that if anyone ever knew, they would never talk to you again? They would never want you around again? Don't answer out loud. But sometimes we humans feel that way, that I'm not good enough. And because I'm not teaching self-esteem 101 in the normal sense, I want to say, you're right. On our own, we are not good enough. We try to do good things, and they end up badly. But nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. But Mike, I've tried so hard, and I continue to fail. I want to tell you a story. Over the past two years, I have tried very hard in certain situations to um, do something in leadership circles called lead up, to try to get people to ask the right questions to make decisions that honor God and all they do. It's a, it's a quiet leadership. It's just trying to be in the right place to encourage people to follow the ways of the Lord rather than the ways of man. And, and I, I, I've told my wife in the privacy of our own home time and again. I know this is what God's called me to, but I just feel like a failure. I just feel like we haven't gotten anywhere or we've even taken steps backward and I feel wounded. I feel beaten up. And I've kind of carried that around with me for a while now. And then last Sunday, I had to cancel church, which I hate doing, And the road we live in, we live out in the country, you know that, uh, some of you, or as much of a country as you can have in Hong Kong. And the road that gets to our road had been just covered by collapsed bamboo because of the typhoon. It didn't hit anywhere else very hard, but it hit Sai Kung really hard. And so a friend called me and he said, hey, let's go clear the road. He said, you got a saw? I said, yeah, I got a a Bushman saw, Let's, let's go. 
And so me, my nine-year-old son, and my friend Ian, we headed out to Yan Yi Road in Saikung, and we were determined to the 50 meters worth of bamboo that was covering and blocking the road, we were going to clean it up. And all was going well. We were doing a good thing. We were actually excited. We were encouraging each other. We were being tough men. And Isaiah was there cheering us on. And then I learned a valuable lesson about bamboo. Bamboo doesn't saw well. Did you know that? It's why you're supposed to use a machete. Works a lot better. I know that now. Because as you've noticed my hand, I was holding the bamboo, sawing with a saw this long, thanks to one of our elders that had bought it for me years ago. And the bamboo started to break before I stopped sawing. And so as the bamboo fell downward, the saw kept moving, and I tried to cut my finger off. I did not succeed, thankfully, but it looked horrible. And it was, I'm not going to give you the details, but it was gross. And so I texted my doctor, said, what do I do? And we put duct tape over it and hoped for the best until the morning. And, and all was good. And I was listening and just sitting talking with my wife once the fear of, have I done any nerve damage? No, I'm fine. And just weak because I cut through muscle. And I said, this is a really good picture of how I feel right now. I feel like I was trying to do a good thing, but I was doing it in my own strength. And now I'm scarred. And I think a lot of us do that on our own. We keep trying to do the right things in our own strength rather than doing it in Christ. Now, I know I'm in Christ and I believe wholeheartedly that Christ could have easily allowed me to cut myself or it just was an accident. You know, I'm not going to get caught up in that. But what I am going to say is there's oftentimes when we carry this burden of we've tried so hard to be good on our own that we forget our identity is in Christ Jesus. And we hold on to those wounds. We hold on not only to our shame, but to our lack of forgiveness of others. And we allow ourselves to become weary at doing good. But yet the scriptures say, don't grow weary in doing good. And the only way you will do that is if it's in God's strength, not your own. I got weary because I was trying to do things according to my plans, not God's. I cut myself because I was careless. But I was trying to do the right thing. And I'm not saying I wouldn't have cut myself if I'd prayed first. But I am saying often in life, we're wounded because our strength isn't in the Lord. Our strength is in ourselves. Our identity is in how we do good for God rather than enjoying being in Christ. In Christ, we are redeemed, we are holy, and we are blameless. What else? We're to be united. If I'm a pastor known for one thing when I die, I hope that I am known as a pastor that fought hard to bring people together rather than to be known by what keeps us apart. Because the world we find ourselves in is fracturing across the board. There is disunity all over the place. We're divided over how do we define marriage, what is gender, who should deserve help, what should we do with the refugees. These are massive questions, which by the way, if you'd like to know more, come to the countercultural class in room 402 at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. And you can explore these issues deeper. Side note complete. But in all these things, we, the church, know that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God 
through the work of Jesus Christ. And we are called to show the world what it looks like when we use our skills, our abilities, our resources, and our gifts together to bring glory to his great name. What does that look like for AIC, Mike? Well, it looks something like this. I'm going to make Benson feel like I'm staring right at him. It means that we are a church that is committed to gathering together for God's glory, growing together as his disciples, giving of our time and resources to serve together, and going out. Benson, could you move your head to the right just a little bit? Going outside, thank you, I couldn't remember what I wrote, to share his greatness with the world. You're good, thanks. Before us, every day of our lives, we are called to gather, grow, give, and go. Whether you are a pastor, a custodian, a bookkeeper, a teacher, a doctor, someone that works in the home, God can use you in mighty ways. And he says, work together with your gifts and your abilities to make much of Jesus. Be about him, not yourself. Because in Christ, God put his plan, the church, under the lordship, the headship, the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we are following where he's called us. Why do I think that church is not watching a YouTube video of a preacher that's better than me? That's fine to watch, but we need each other. We are called throughout all of Scripture to be a people, not a person. We are called to be united. That's why our last series, that 1 Corinthians 13 love series, I kept pushing that idea of spend real time with people. Build relationships. Enjoy them. Our community group last night, we had a great time. And throughout the process, we were saying, you know, this year we're going to seek to go deeper. We're going to seek to worship more heartfelt with our kids in the room. We're going to seek to have bigger talk with each other. And out of that said, you know what? Some of our kids have asked if they could be baptized. Could we be part of that? Yes! And all of a sudden, we realize that, hey, to follow Christ means do it together. And he opens a door and we'll walk through together in community. How great is that? But it was because the Lord loved you. This is being written to the people of Israel. And kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. In the same way that this was told to the people of Israel, being reminded, see, they, never, they were never too confused that they were chosen by God. That, that idea of arguing about predestination didn't come till much later. What they understood was it was only through God that they could be set apart to live a redeemed life. They didn't always do it very well, neither do we. So how then do we respond? We understand that just as the people of Israel were in the old covenant, in the new covenant, we, the people of God, the followers of the way, the Christian is called to demonstrate God's glory wherever we go whether you're paid to talk about Jesus or they say you're not allowed to talk about him in this place. We are called to make his name great, to demonstrate who he is. And so what does that mean for us? Well, you've got in your notes, it's pretty simple. When we accept that God is in control, that he reigns, that he is sovereign, 
that we have received new life in Christ, that we didn't do it on our own, that our life is in Christ, on Christ the solid rock I stand, we can thrive in a life of grace and peace. We can do more than just getting out of bed and trudging through the day. We can live with meaning, saying that my life is in Christ and I'm going to show Christ to the world. So how do we do it? How do we thrive? Just going to give you a couple of basic principles. First, this one's easy. Easy to remember, uh, sometimes hard to do, but daily we seek his grace and peace. Where did Paul start his letter? Grace and peace to you. If we know that God's richness in grace and peace have given to us something that is told from all the pages of Scripture, we know we can make it through the day with purpose, with energy, and with passion. Second, we affirm, we remind ourselves of the promises of God. There are going to be tons of promises in the book of Ephesians. There are going to be tons of challenges of how we live. And we should be reminding ourselves of these. It's why I believe memorization of God's word is a really healthy thing. Because then we don't forget the promises God has given us. What are they? Well, look at what we've just learned today. We are a holy people. Not just you, we To quote Michael Jackson, you are not alone. To quote the Liverpool Football Club, you'll never walk alone. God is always with you and he has ordained a people for you just as he did Elijah in his moment of despair. We are a holy people. We have been united as an eternal family. Then, as we continue to seek his grace and peace daily, We know that we've been chosen to reflect God's glory. And it motivates us more than making money, more than being successful and giving our kids everything we think they need and giving our parents the expectations they have before us. We say that I am motivated to show the world that God is great and that there is nothing better than him. Does that really motivate us when we get out of bed at Monday? Not always. We've been chosen. You were chosen. You were picked. You were adopted. You were predestined. It's your destiny to make much of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Know that promise. Remind yourself that God chose you. Remind yourself that you are his, that we're told nothing can snatch you from his hands. And know that you've been redeemed and forgiven. One of the biggest barriers to thriving in life is being caught up in fear and anxiety and shame. I'm not good enough. I can't measure up. Or what if it all goes wrong? And we get paralyzed by those questions. And God, through Jesus Christ, says, you are not alone. I am always with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my child. And I will lead you every step of the way. You are forgiven. You've been set free. And I paid for you already. You are mine. So for us, how do we finish? With grace and peace. Grace, the understanding that we've been set free from sin and shame 
allows us to move forward. You don't have to be paralyzed by your guilt, your shame, and your hurt, and your fear anymore. Because God says, I've given you Jesus Christ who paid for you. And the Holy Spirit will lead you forward past the shame and the guilt to the freedom that is found through Jesus. Second, peace grants us the freedom to live differently. When we know in our hearts we are at peace with God, the things of this world that are shaky, that are broken, that are troubling, do not trouble us inwardly, only challenge us and convict us to be brighter lights for him. Our peace cannot be shaken because he is God and he never changes. And on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. So today, I invite you to go out with grace and peace. A lesson that Horatio Spafford had to learn the hard way. Who's Horatio Spafford, Mike? Well, many of you probably do not know who Horatio Spafford was. But you do know the words that he penned that we're about to sing. He wrote the words, It is well with my soul. But he didn't write those because God had made him rich, given him a big family, and made him incredibly successful. He wrote those after all those things had come and gone. You see, the great Chicago fire of the 19th century tore through Chicago and destroyed Horatio's home, his business, and his real estate holdings. He was left with nothing, and one of his children was killed in that. In an effort to restart his life, he sent his family ahead of him to Europe, four more kids and his wife. And he later got the now famous telegram. It was one line from his wife that said, saved alone. His children had been taken from him. He no longer had any wealth to hold back on or to hold on to. And it was at that moment his daughters had passed He wondered what was he going to do with his life. And as he traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Circumstances didn't define whether Horatio could thrive in life. Following the will of God did. He went on to start a missions agency that served in one of the most difficult parts of the world to care for those that knew nothing of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Life didn't always get easier. He lost more children later. But he never stopped following Jesus Christ. Is it well with our soul today? Let's stand and sing together.